Let's turn our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Uh, many of us have been on this journey through the fruit of the Spirit. And this evening we look at the fruit of faithfulness, the fruit of faithfulness. And um, as we've gone through this series, I've had feedback from several people uh, about its, its edification in their own life. As we focus on each of these fruit, uh, the Spirit is working because in doing so, we are keeping in step, as the Apostle Paul says, keeping in step with the Spirit. And I look forward to how God will speak through His Word tonight and Hopefully all of you have that little study, that there's a little outline that has a lot of the biblical text so you don't have to necessarily go through uh, flipping through your Bible to all of them because we have many this evening. But let's read the few, a few verses from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's bow our heads briefly. Father in heaven, we ask your blessing upon the word that has been read. And all the word, the, word, the passages that we will read together tonight. May you implant them upon our hearts by your spirit, for it is a living word, living and active, that we, your people, would be rebuked, but we would be taught and corrected and trained up in righteousness. Help us, O Holy Spirit, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I reflected upon this fruit, the fruit, fruit of faithfulness, I was, well, it brought me back to a dinner table, a dinner table that I frequented often compared to my other cousins in my family. It was the dinner table of my Oma and Opa. And of course, uh, Opa always began a supper with a prayer. It would always be in Dutch, but I wouldn't understand anything he was saying. And then after the end of the meal, we would open up the Bible, and of course that was the Dutch Bible, and Opa would read a passage, and he would talk a little bit of the passage in Dutch. And of course, my Dutch is not that good. Basic, but he would still talk about it with Oma. And they did this for year after year after year, all I think some 57 years of their marriage. They were married in 1933 in November. And for all those years, nine children, a trip across the pond over to the United States, they would read the Word of God day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And I saw in them as I reflected a faithful couple for Christ. Oh, yes, they had their spats. Opa was a little grumpy. Oma was very busy and making certain everybody was taken care of. But what I saw was a little portrait of faithfulness that I witnessed 
in my young life that I don't think I, I didn't appreciate it then. But at 52, I appreciate it now. They were always walking in the same direction. Always faithful. Opa liked to play the organ. He wasn't very good. It was not nearly as good as David. But he would play from time to time when they let him. But he loved the hymns. He loved to hear the gospel sung. Again, a portrait of faithfulness in my Opa and in my Oma. But how do we define this picture? I gave you a picture from my past. But how can we define faithfulness in the text just read? Well, an excellent definition that comes from many different lexicons was compiled by a pastor named Timothy Keller. And I found this definition to be very helpful. It says faithfulness, or I guess a real brief definition, faithfulness, loyalty, courage. Faithfulness, loyalty, courage. To be utterly reliable and true to your word. I'll say that again, to be utterly reliable and true to your word. Its opposite is to be an opportunity, uh, to be uh, an opportunity, a friend only in good times, or a fair-weather friend. And its counterfeit is to be loving but not truthful, so that you are never willing to confront or challenge. Now, we know that God is faithful, isn't he? He confronts and he challenges his people, doesn't he? He does it through his word and by his spirit. He's utterly reliable and true to his word, isn't he? Again, each of these fruit come out of the very nature of God himself, out of his character. The communicable attributes is what we call them theologically and in the history of the church. But let's dive into other portions of God's word and look at the faithfulness of God. The psalmist in Psalm 86 sings these words, but you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's a beautiful portrait, isn't it? A beautiful picture of the God of Israel that the psalmist seeks that Israel would sing with him. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. I don't think you can separate the word love and faithfulness. As we've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit, it does appear that love summarizes all the other eight. That's where the connection is. And when you see faithfulness in the old covenant and the new covenant, you can never separate the word love or, or God's love. Listen to what Moses writes on the shore of the Jordan River before Israel was to enter the promised land, he wrote in Deuteronomy 7, 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He's a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Oh, Israel, remember, he's faithful. And he's always kept his covenant of love. 
He's been our faithful husband, hasn't he? And Israel was the bride. He's always been like that. And how faithful is he? To a thousand generations. Let's just magnify that. A thousand generations. No one understood what that even means. Do you even understand what a thousand generations means? That's how God is speaking to his people through his prophet Moses. He was faithful when you were unfaithful. He was faithful when you murmured, murmured, murmured in the wilderness. He was faithful even in your rebellion at the, at the mountain at Mount Sinai. And he continued to be faithful for the last 40 years. Faithful to the promise, promises, wasn't he? Faithful to the promises he made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. You see that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, by faith, Abraham, even when he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promises. And I think that's important. Yes, Abraham was faithful but only because God was. You see, God who made the promises with Abraham. Remember that that wondrous scene in Genesis 15 where God tells Abraham to take the animals and to cut them in two as you did in ancient covenants? So if you made an agreement and you broke it, may I be torn in two like these pieces? But who went between the pieces? It wasn't Abraham. It was God. God did. You saw in that fire, because God is a consuming fire. There, God demonstrates his promise. His faithfulness that he would bless Abraham. To bless the nations. He would be made into a great nation. And here's a man who has no children and he's old. And Sarah is barren and yet... God says, I will make it happen. And what was the fruit in time? At the age of 100 years and 90 for Sarah? Isaac. Isaac. But in the course of time, Isaac needed a wife. And it is interesting that Abraham's servant mentions, well, he says this in Genesis 24, 27, when he was looking for Rebekah, he didn't know it was Rebecca, but he went up to Haran to find a wife for Isaac. And this is what he says. Praise be to the God, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. Abraham's servant was praying back to God, you're faithful, God. It's because of your faithfulness that I came to this well in Haran and that I met Rebecca and exactly what I prayed for, it happened, didn't it? Praise be to you, God. Praise be to you for your faithfulness to your servant, Abraham. And as we walk through the all the promises of God through the Old to the New Testament, God is 
faithful, and God is faithful even in the deepest valleys as we began the worship service with Lamentations 3. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You could almost see Jeremiah in sackcloth and ashes as he sings this song. Life is horrible. The cities are ablaze. Death is everywhere. The bodies are piled up. It's horrible to be in Judah. And many people have escaped to Egypt. And everything is horror. And yet, what is Jeremiah singing? Even in the darkest valley, God's faithfulness. Isn't that what David sung about in Psalm 23? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. And why could he say that? Because God is faithful. He's a good shepherd. Even in the deepest, darkest valleys, there he is faithful to us, his people. And God's faithfulness will extend to even when we are faithless. Oh, we'd like to think we're pretty strong in the faith. But throughout the history of the church, people have had doubts. And this is what Paul writes to his spiritual son, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. Here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure, we also will reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. For he cannot disown himself. Keep reminding them of these things. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord God my Father. And how much more profound it is when we falter, when we fail, when we stumble. Does God cease? Does he take away the promises? When Abraham and Sarah failed, did he take away the promises in their failure? He didn't, did he? Even when we are faithless, he is faithful. Oh, friends, that's good news for you and me. That's really good news for me. That's really good news for you because you're not that faithful, are you? We like to think we're faithful, but the history of Christianity proves it not to be so because it appears that every single trial, when it comes along, often we do not know what to do, do we? And often when it hits us in the face and life smacks us one, our first response is not always to trust in the Lord, is it? It's easy to be faithless. Even for us who walk after Christ. But he's always faithful. I'm so thankful that he's always faithful. Or I'd be lost. I'd be lost. So would you. Because he pursues, doesn't he? This is really wondrous news. Because when we are faithless and when we fail, often does not he, does he not pursue us? And come after us? Like that one lost sheep? the good shepherd brings back to the fold because that's who he is. He's faithful 
He's faithful. Picture now, right in your, in your notes, how has he been faithful in your life? What people has he used in your life to be when you were at the lowest point that he used in his faithfulness to call you back to himself? What circumstances do you remember? Or dream? Oh, there are many people who have dreams that God gives in times of crisis and God can use. How has God been faithful in your life? The problem is our pencils are not marking enough things. I should hear Because he's always faithful. And I'm always failing. Don't you, don't you feel that in yourself? How often do you fail in a day? I don't have enough fingers, right? At least that's how I experience it. That's how I see it, and I believe that's an objective reality. And yet he still loves. He loves me. He loves you. We see that clearly in, the, in his word that he will remain faithful. You know, God's faithfulness also encourages us to faithfulness, doesn't it? I remember hiking up in the Sierra Nevadas, and uh, we were going to Poop Out Pass, and maybe I mentioned this before, but I remember Andy Verhoeven. Andy Verhoeven was the most encouraging trooper ever. And of course, I was whining all the way up the mountain, and what he would continually say to me, Johnny, it's a piece of cake. As you're going, ah, you feel like you're going to, and then, you know, I was a little dramatic. I was eight years old. But uh, I still remember that voice. Johnny, it's a piece of cake. Johnny, it's a piece of cake. You know, God's like that. He keeps reminding us and telling us again and again through his word, through the hymns that we've sung. It's a piece of cake because I'm with you. I hear what the psalm, what the Hebrews, the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23. Let us hold unswaveringly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. I want to say that again. Let us hold unswaveringly to the hope we profess Hold on to Christ. Hold on to the cross. Hold on to an empty tomb. For he who promised is faithful. How do you know that he's faithful? How do you know objectively right now, today, as you're sitting in your pew, how do you know that God is faithful? How has he demonstrated his faithfulness? We must go back to the greatest event that ever happened in human history. We must go to Golgotha. We must go to the cross. We must go to the darkness. We must go to Christ and him crucified. Is he faithful to his promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to Israel? Oh, and to Eve, that promise, and to Adam. He's faithful. That's who he is. That's his character. And his faithfulness extends all the way to the cross and forevermore. Oh, have, brothers and sisters, that, that should encourage us all to faithfulness. How can I be faithful, oh God? How can I be faithful? Show me how I can be faithful. There must be a lot of other places I, might, I can be faithful. Shouldn't it make us zealous for that? Energized, in fact. How can I serve you? How can I serve others? 
How can I be faithful like Jesus was faithful and gave his life? Well, I think the Bible gives some encouragements along the way. Faithfulness lived in a believer's life. What we see, one, is faithful in the means of grace. If you and I are to grow, right, as Christians, if we're going to be faithful in life, in, in doctrine and in life, we must not neglect the means of grace. What do I mean by that? Well, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Brothers and sisters, let us be faithful in prayer. What does that mean? You just keep praying. Loyal in your prayer. Keep coming to God. Morning and evening. Keep praying. Never give up. Don't pray because you feel like it. Pray even when you don't feel like it. When the last thing you want to do in the world is pray, drop and pray. You got, we got to pray. Because faithfulness is not about feeling, right? It's not about that. And in fact, we see the picture of the early church. I've read it again and again, but I need to say it again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. If you and I are going to be faithful, we need to devote ourselves to the apostolic teaching about Jesus. We need to spend a lot of time with Jesus. A lot of time with Jesus. If you want to see faithfulness personified, it's in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, isn't it? So we need to be devoted to the apostolic teaching. And of course, it wasn't just the apostolic teaching that they were devoted to, but also to the fellowship. That means as brothers and sisters, you and I have to spend some time together. Right? Oh, come on. That's a thumbs up. Spending time together with the, with, with the brothers and the sisters. I mean, wouldn't you, don't you want to? Because we're born in the Spirit. We have the same Spirit, the same baptism, the same Lord and Savior who intercedes for us. Of course we want to be together. But sometimes we don't, do we? We want to do our own thing. Well, one of the means of grace that God gives us is the fellowship of believers, that we might encourage each other and spur each other on. And of course, in that spurring each other on, there's the breaking of bread. That's both in the fellowship context, but also in the Lord's Supper and prayer. The means of grace. That's where it needs to begin in a, an everyday believer's life. And also, you and I are called to be faithful in ministering to the body. And what I mean, the, to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, Hebrews speaks in this way, and let us consider, it doesn't say faithful, but it bleeds faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Brothers and sisters, I want to hear that. I need to be spurred on to loving good deeds. Don't you? Who needs help there? Oh, good. Brother? All right. JJ, you definitely need help. But you're love, brother. You are love, man. Because you're just like me, aren't you? You're just like me. We need to spur each other on. This is exactly what God teaches us to do in the Word. And then it says, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching, which is the resurrection of the dead when Jesus returns. And if you don't show up at church and fellowship with the believers, it's hard to be encouraging each other. And I do believe that's one of the greatest ways to be faithful. We need each other. It's like that illustration that's been used again and again. You have a fire. Take the coal away from the fire. What happens to the coal? It dies. It loses heat. 
and it's of no value. Fact is, we need a bonfire in the church. We need more of us spending more time together, singing his praises, encouraging each other, laughing, eating, and all the rest, serving together. Because that's going to create faithfulness among us. Of course, there's some examples of faithfulness in the, in the scriptures. We see Moses in Hebrews 3, 5. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. And we know he was the humblest man who ever lived. If I look at any, any figure in the Old Testament, Moses is so faithful, even in his failures. He's, he's faithfulness personified in a man. And really, he's prefigured. He's pointing us to who? To the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't he? He's pointing us to Christ. Because he too was a mediator between God and his people. As Christ is a mediator between God and man. And you see very clearly in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house. Isn't that wonderful? And we are are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast hold on it appears that these examples are for us to to see and to follow clearly jesus was a disciple maker right he said come and follow me and i'll make you fishers of men and so too we need to follow christ the glorious example of the scriptures, but there was also someone that you probably never heard of, and some of you have heard about it, and it's Tychius, and of course, it's a hard name to, to pronounce. But we find in Colossians chapter 4, verse, verse 7, these words, Tychius will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your heart. And this was a treacherous journey. It was not always safe. This is a man of courage. This is a man of loyalty. This is a man who's always been at the side of the Apostle Paul as he's in prison, which means you got guilt by association. It is dangerous. Many people would not associate with the Apostle Paul because of fear for their own life. Not Tychius. And so we have the average Joe Christian right here in the Scriptures demonstrating faithfulness in the life of the Apostle Paul. And of course, when you go to Jesus' instruction to the churches in the book of Revelation, we see faithfulness in the face of death. When the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to the church of Smyrna, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Jesus is saying, it's going to get bad. It's not going to be pleasant. Be faithful, though, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus calls every single disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ to be faithful unto death. And that would make sense because what did Christ do in his faithfulness? He gave his life. And that's what he's instructing the church in Smyrna who are experiencing persecution. Faithful unto death. 
And that's the question from this morning. Is Christ your life? To live is Christ, to die is gain? Is that what you want on your tombstone? To live is Christ, to die is gain? Because if he's your life, to die is not to die. To die is only to enter a life without end. It's the wondrous reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ that shouts into the darkness of a world of death and a culture of death, life in Christ. And of course, when I think of this faithfulness in death, the hope for the faithless. Brothers and sisters, we're part of families, and our families are messy. Let's not pretend, right? There's a lot of mess in our families. And there are people we love desperately, but they're faithless. They don't know Christ. And what do you want for them? I want, you want them to know Christ. And there's, there's this wonderful passage in Philemon, or Philemon, depending if you're from Africa or from the United States. You can pronounce it the way you'd like. But I was told Philemon, so I'm taking that from my African brother who was named Philemon. And what we learn is that Onesimus was faithful. Actually, he met the Apostle Paul in Rome during his darkest days. And this is what Paul writes because Onesimus was a runaway slave from Philemon. So Philemon or Philemon was actually the owner of Onesimus. And this is what the Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Did you hear what he said? My son Onesimus. You can see the old wise Paul who became my son. Oh, what happened? How did he become his son? Well, he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't he? He was born again into an eternal life. And then he continues on. Who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you. But now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart. Sounds like he's a faithful dude, doesn't he? Who was once a faithless man. Who is my heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I was in chain, chains for the gospel. So why did I read that? Because I believe there's hope for the faithless. You know who those are. There's hope for the faithless like Onesimus. And God got a hold of Onesimus and changed him into a man of faithlessness to a man of faithfulness. God is good. And what wondrous hope that is for us who have those that are beloved by us. Of course, there's a charge to be faithful in the ministry, isn't there? And I think this is an important one where we'll, let, we'll end off tonight. Timothy is being charged by a soon to depart from this world, Paul. He is seeking, he is foreseeing his execution soon. And he says, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will be the judge the living, of the living and the dead in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, 
Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when men will, put, will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear, just like our own day. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss, but you... Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Timothy, be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ, of which you have been set apart and ordained with the laying on of hands. Preach it even when no one wants to hear it. Faithfulness, isn't it? Faithfulness is definitely not on the six-lane freeway to hell. It's on the narrow road after Christ. The narrow road after Christ. So that's a charge for me and for us, you elders, and for you deacons. Paul ends with these words, and I see this is the faithfulness to the, of the chief of sinners. Paul called himself that. I think most of us know that. And this is what Paul says. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who long for his appearing, that crown of life. How had Paul been faithful all these years of ministry? How had he been faithful to this point of death? Was it him? Was it his character? Or was it the Holy Spirit in him? Crucifying the sinful nature, calling him from a life of death to life, taking the scales off his eyes, and he kept on following who? The Holy Spirit. He kept in step with the Spirit all the days of his life until 67 AD he was executed in Rome for the glory of Christ, faithful to the end. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we are thankful for the faithfulness of the saints that have gone before us. But they were faithful because your work of faithfulness was there first. Your son demonstrated that be the beauty of faithfulness in his incarnation, in his ministry, in his suffering, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension. And that faithfulness will be in its fullness when he returns. Oh, how we yearn for that. But may his faithfulness by your spirit in the, warm our affections to be faithful in our thinking in our doing, in our speaking. Help, O oh Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.